God clearly said, spread out. And man clearly said, no. You know what that is called? Rebellion. Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, and the president of Dayspring Bible College in Mundelein, Illinois. You're listening to In Grace. My name is Jim Scudder, and today, together, we will again get into God's Word and find answers. We're calling this series Answers, and we're answering Bible questions from people like you. Today, people have asked, what was the original language of the earth before the Tower of Babel? And that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure if I have the right answer, but I'll give you my best guess, and we'll talk a little bit about the rebellion of the languages in the Tower of Babel. We also were asked about when it says Jesus was increasing in wisdom when he was young, you know, how could God, who knows everything, increase in wisdom? So we're going to do our best to answer that very profound question and others today here on In Grace. And I hope that it is a blessing to you. I hope that what you hear will edify you and excite you and want to uh, make you serve the Lord with more energy and enthusiasm. And um, we hope that that's true for my life and for yours. Right before we go into today's answers series, let me tell you that In Grace is not only a podcast and a radio program, we also are a television program. And tonight on TBN, you can watch In Grace at 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central, and you'll be seeing the wonderful conclusion of Ellie's Grand Rafting Adventure. And that's a lot of fun. By the way, we're going to play the fourth part of that series on Friday's radio program and podcast. And so uh, stay tuned for that. You can get the entire Ellie's Grand Rafting Adventure on DVD or digital download, which will prove how the Grand Canyon proves not millions of years, but Noah's flood as we take an incredible adventure rafting trip down the Grand Canyon with Ellie, her family, some PhDs, and a bunch of other great folks. You're going to love this adventure, and I hope that you can watch it tonight on TBN, listen on Friday, or get the video series. And you can get the video series from us by giving a gift of any amount, and that amount, whatever you give, will go toward making sure more people hear about Jesus Christ. Oh boy, we are so excited about today's answer series. So let's go to that right now. We have a lot of questions, don't we? As, as humans. Today, we're going to be focusing in a lot about heaven and hell. And the first question, some of you are, are in heaven and some of you are in hell when it comes to marriage. So... Uh, <laughs> Let me, just, let me just help you with this, okay? This is really simple. How should husbands and wives treat each other? Uh, better than you have been, okay? Let's just, let's just put it there. Well, the Bible gives us some really clear, simple instructions on this. And I know we're humans, we're complicated, but just really simplify things by just saying, okay, this is what God says, and this is, uh, this is not that difficult. And look at Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5... In verse 22, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now you say, ah, oh, that's definitely old-fashioned uh, in, in our age of women's liberation. I'm not going to do that. Well, the verse before says, submit one to another. The Bible also tells us that Christ submitted to death on the cross for us. So submission actually is a very important part of the human experience for everybody. 
But God designed the husband and the wife in certain ways, and the way that God designed the husband was to be the head and the wife to be the neck that turns the head. <laughs> but but there, there's a principle of, of respect and, and submission there that it, if it's done properly, so, so no husband, the worst thing you can do is demand, submit to me, okay? You cannot do that. The, the way that you can ask your wife to submit is for you to love her as Christ loved the church. And that's the next verse we're going to read in verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What's harder, to submit to the husband or for the husband to love the wife unconditionally and without end? Uh, no matter what. So I actually think the husbands have a much harder job, and if we can do our job properly, and if the husband can be submitted to God, I believe it's going to be very easy for the woman to submit to her husband. But again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems with this. Why? Because we're sinners. We're sinners, and, and it's hard for us, it's hard for the husband to always treat her with the respect and the love that you are, are asked to as the weaker vessel to, as we say in our marriage ceremony, to love, honor, and cherish her. And we can easily get frustrated. And often that frustration stems out of the husband not leading spiritually. So husbands, let me challenge you to lead spiritually. Let me challenge you to honor her and, and love her and cherish her and protect her. And I know for sure that every husband will give his life for his wife and for his family. And that's an amazing thing that, that men will do. Uh, and, and wives, uh, respect your husband. Submit to your husband. Let him lead. The, the problem is sometimes the husbands aren't leading spiritually. And there's a vacuum. And, and therefore, that's usually the problems that uh, come out of, of marriage. So you say, well, I, I'll, I'll submit to him as soon as he starts loving me. Or I'll, I'll love her as soon as she starts submitting to me. Well, let me just say this. May the most mature person do the right thing before God. And then see what happens. See what God can do. Let me talk to you about my dear wife, Karen. We have had an amazing marriage. One of the great parts of marriage was having our two wonderful daughters. By far the most joyous part of marriage has been to have our three grandkids. And she is by far the favorite of the two grandparents in our house. Uh, I go by Gramps, she goes by Nana. What's easier to say? Nana. Gramps is very difficult for children's little mouths to, to say. So that's why they always say, Nana, Nana, Nana. They run to Nana. They run to Nana first. She is an amazing wife, an amazing mom, amazing grandmother, amazing pastor's wife. She, she does so much. You say, what, is, what does your wife Karen do? Let me just ask you, what does my wife Karen not do in ministry? She has helped so many of you individually. She does discipleship one-on-one -on -one with women. She, she teaches our, our ladies. She heads up our, our women's ministries and spearheading and being the example and giving of herself and her life to the Lord. Uh, she helps me out immensely. She has uh, one, of the, one of the things that she does, and this might not seem like a big deal, but 
Uh, anytime there's a uh, purchase that's in one of our, our organizations, we, we receipt everything. We're very careful with that. And so she helps me with that. She's tracking down receipts all the time and making sure everything is done properly. She, she travels with me when we can, and she makes sure that everything is packed. She starts packing a week or two ahead when I'm packing an hour or two ahead. So I'm thankful for her that she's able to help me and, and, and be such a support and such a wonderful, wonderful woman. And I just wanted to say publicly, honey, I love you very, very much. So I have the advantage of having the pulpit, but I want you to brag about your wife sometime. What was the original language of the earth before the Tower of Babel? I love this question, except we don't have an answer for you. I know what, that the whole earth was under one language. In Genesis 11, verse 1, it tells us that the, there was one language and one speech. Certainly, life would have been much, much easier. Anytime we travel, I find it so difficult when you're in a different place and there's a different language. And you, you, you know, it's, it's just impossible, isn't it? When, when you don't know the language or you know a word or two. I think I know a word or two about 10 languages and that's it. But if you put a gun to my head and said, what language did they speak at the beginning? I would say, not English. I would say Hebrew. That would be my best guess. I, I don't know why it wouldn't be Hebrew. Last time we were asked, what is the language of the millennium? And I think, again, that's going to be Hebrew. I think we will revert back to one language. But let's talk about this for a second. After the flood, in Genesis 9, in verse 1, God told Noah to replenish the earth, to be fruitful, to multiply. And that was the command. And two chapters later, in Genesis 11, verse 4, we read that they said, these are the people that have descended from Noah and his sons, now a large group of people, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. You know what that is called? Rebellion. So God clearly said, spread out. And man clearly said, no. We want to gather together. We want to put all of our intellect together. We want to put all of our engineering together. We want to make of ourselves a name. We don't care about what God says. We're going to do it our way. And God said, oh yeah? And you know the story where the languages were confused, confounded, scrambled, I think is what happened. I think there was an original language, and, it, it, and linguists are studying this scientifically, and they're starting to, to see some patterns in all the different languages, like, like it literally was scrambled. And then every clan would go about speaking, they could all understand each other in each clan, or maybe, let's say, a grandson or great-grandson of Noah, and so those groups of people would move away because they couldn't understand each other, Imagine they're building this tower and he reaches over and says, you know, hand me a, a, a hammer and it's gibberish. You don't know what he's saying. So God forced the people to spread out. You say, well, how did people get to the Americas? How did people get to Australia? How did the animals get to these places? Because uh, after the flood, all the people would have come out of one place, probably in, in Turkey 
on the mountains of Ararat. So, but we do find people in the Americas. We do find people in Australia and all these other places that are separated by oceans. How do they get there? The Bible has the answers. So now people are spread all over the earth, and now we see there's at least 7,000 languages. Language is an incredible miracle that humans can communicate. We have thousands of words, and we can communicate about everything. We can talk about war. We can talk about peace. We can talk about esoteric thoughts. We can talk about what do I need to fix the sink at the hardware store. I mean, there's so many things that we communicate with words that it's, it's a miracle. Animals don't have this. We can ask in the negative. We can do all of these things, and we do, and we are totally different from the animals. We did not evolve, and evolutionists have a real problem with language because all of a sudden it appeared 5,000 years ago. Doesn't that kind of sound like what the Bible says? If humans, I mean, language should have been here way before 5,000 years ago. We have no evidence of that. It's all of a sudden here, and 7,000 languages, but from that, people have studied it and found that it's closer to about 130 language families. So all the languages, they believe, have come from 130 language families. If you go back a chapter from Babel and look at Genesis 10, what you're going to find is the number of clans, the number of groups descending from Noah, between 70 and 100. It fits so closely with what we know for sure about language. It fits with what the Bible says. Every time. You don't have to doubt this book. Now, what was the original language? What will the language be? Hebrew is my best guess. I don't know. So, sorry. Sorry not to give you a better answer than that. But we definitely went around the horn on that one, didn't we? We went the long way around, and I... I just love it when the Bible lines up with what we see in the world. Are you ready for an adventure like no other? Dive into a world of discovery within Grace's exclusive video series, Ellie's Grand Rafting Adventure. Immerse yourself in the awe-inspiring beauty of the Grand Canyon and uncover the captivating evidence of Noah's flood. This incredible series is yours when you give any amount to InGrace. Simply call 800-78-GRACE or visit ingraceradio.com. When your gift is $35 or more, you'll also receive two additional video series, A Tour of Noah's Ark with Ken Ham and Ark of Noah, which explores the geological evidence that supports the Bible. For your gift of $100 or more, you can enjoy our entire Creation Series bundle, including eight sensational video series. Call 800-78-GRACE or visit ingraceradio.com. That's 800-78-GRACE ingraceradio.com or write to P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Don't miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Again, that's 800-78-GRACE or ingraceradio.com. This is the question that I had. And by the way, let me just tell you this. Theologians have been thinking about this and debating this for centuries, Okay. So Luke 2, 52 tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom. And I'll just read the verse uh, to you. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And the question was, when Jesus was a child, but he increased in wisdom and in stature and favor, 
how could he increase in wisdom if he's God and he knows everything? Good question. That is a really complicated question, right? If he knows everything, he was always God. We know that for sure. John 17, 5. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, his prayer for us, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus was always, always, always fully God. But he became a man in every way except for he did not have the sin nature. So how could God be an infant? How could God be a baby that can't even crawl? How could this be? How could God possibly uh, not have all knowledge and all wisdom and all understanding at all times, even when he was 12, and that was the age of Luke 2.52. Let's go back and talk about that episode so we know that Jesus was born. We know that he had to flee to Egypt. We know that eventually they ended up in Nazareth, and that's where he grew up. And when he was 12, as every year they did, they went, his family, good Jewish family, they would go to Jerusalem for Passover. And they did. And on the way home, they discovered, after they were away, that Jesus wasn't with them. Now, you parents know you've done this. You've done this. You've left your kids somewhere. And it's a horrible feeling. We've had them left here in our schools all the time. We have a whole room full of children that you've forgotten. <laughs> Didn't even remember you had them. <laughs> but that happens, right? They thought maybe, you know, maybe traveling in two different groups, they had a lot of family, and they, they've, they've lost Jesus. You know, it's like, that's, you don't want to do that. You lost the Savior. You lost the Messiah. So they hurried back and they found him. And he was in the temple confounding the wisest. So, so we, we see a glimpse here in Luke 2 that Jesus had a superior ability to know things. It says in Luke 2.49, he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? So Mary finds him and he says, don't you know that I am about my father's business? So at 12, he knew who he was. He knew his, his job. He, he, he knew things. So how do we answer this? I know for sure that while never ceasing to be God, Jesus veiled his divinity according to the will of the Father. And I'll say that mostly veiled. Because at times... He walked on the water, and he multiplied bread, and I mean, he, he healed people, he raised the dead. So he didn't always veil his, his divinity, but often, most of the time, he did. He did that willingly, he did that voluntarily. So how does that work? How does he veil his deity? Imagine he's running around with the rest of the kids. Certainly, he experienced childhood. I'm sure he was a very mature child, very perfect child, probably drove his Mom and dad to distraction. I had a sister who thought she was perfect. <laughs> Never ceasing to be God, he mostly veiled his divinity according to the will of the Father. He submitted himself to physical, mental, social, and intellectual growth. 
His brain developed. He, he learned how to crawl. He learned how to walk. He, his teeth came in. His teeth fell out. I mean, we had a, a tooth come out yesterday. Our oldest granddaughter, our oldest grandchild, I mean, it was hanging by a thread. She wouldn't let anyone touch her mouth. I'd say, come on, let me, let me go to the garage and get a nice big pair of pliers. Let me yank that out for you. No! Finally, it came out. And last night, she got a whopping four bucks. Four bucks. She's happy. She, the tooth is gone. There's four bucks under her pillow. I don't know where we possibly got such silly customs, but it's fun. It's fun. But he would have lost teeth. He would have, I mean, he was, he was human. He just didn't sin, okay? So how does that work if he knows all things? It's incredible. I'm just gonna say there's still, there's still mystery here. I'm not trying to explain it to you. I'm just trying to tell you that I believe it. I believe it. Luke 2, 40, earlier in this whole passage, it says that the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, some people say, well, he did miracles as a child. That's, that's not in the Bible, okay? The Bible actually said his first miracle was the wedding of Cana. So when you hear stuff like that, or there's some sort of tradition or some sort of TV special, you know, <laughs> beware of TV specials, okay? Read the Bible, but he certainly must have been an amazing young man, an amazing uh, teenager, right? And, uh, but it's a deep mystery. It's a deep mystery. So let's, let's close this question with this passage, and this really helps me understand it and take it by faith. In Philippians 2, 7, it says, but upon him made himself no reputation. Took upon himself the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men, and being found as, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. You see how he would have voluntarily, willingly submitted to veiling his deity. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. How can God die? We know he didn't. We know that you cannot kill God, but certainly his body died. Jesus and his humanity died on the cross. His blood poured out a perfect sacrifice for sins. Even the death of the cross, he made himself of no reputation. And that was a tough question, wasn't it? But a good one. And it's biblical. The Bible talks about Jesus growing in knowledge. But I believe, again, that that is his experience of humanity and uh, living it. And so also how he veiled his deity to such an extent that the Father would allow him to have the, the abilities whenever necessary. But in general, he lived a life just like us. And uh, he experienced the world and he, he was tempted and always like we are yet without sin. And that's wonderful because it makes him the not only uh, the, the one who came to die in our place, but it makes him sinless. And, and also one of us so he could die in our place sinless, therefore providing salvation to anyone who simply believes in him. Contact us if you have more questions about eternal life or anything else. 1-800-78-GRACE is our number during business hours. We'd love to take your call live or 
you can leave us a voicemail after. When you go to the website, look for our Answer Series CD, and we would love to send that to you. And uh, you can find out how to order that there on the website, ingraceradio.com. We also have Ellie's Grand Rafting Adventure for a gift of any amount. It's a four-part video series that you can get that will prove the Grand Canyon is not proof of millions of years, but rather Noah's Flood. If your gift is $35 or more, we'll send you Ellie's Grand Rafting Adventure and two more incredible video series about Noah's Flood and the Ark. And then if your gift is $100 or more, so many more people will hear about Jesus Christ. And we're going to send you the Creation Bundle, eight videos about creation that you'll absolutely love. Dive into a world of discovery with Ingrace's exclusive video series, Ellie's Grand Rafting Adventure. This incredible series is yours when you give any amount to Ingrace. When your gift is $35 or more, you'll also receive two more video series about Noah's Flood or get the entire 8-series creation bundle for $100. Call 800-78-GRACE, visit ingraceradio.com, or write to P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Thank you for joining us on InGrace Radio with Jim Scudder, Jr. InGrace is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our goal is to share the light of Jesus to a darkening world, helping you find hope, gain purpose, and be a light. You can be that light today by joining our mission to spread the gospel around the world. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in tomorrow as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on InGrace Radio.